The children are dismissed. I just want to say it like that. Have you ever noticed that some people think that grouchiness is a Christian virtue? Not you guys, huh? Grouchiness is a Christian virtue. That real Christian serious people are very, very serious. Emperor Julian, they say, saw it that way. He said Christians look, they, 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 they took the vividness out of life. Because if you looked at these Christians closely, they're hollow-eyed, pale-cheeked, flat-breasted all, brood their lives away, unspurred by ambition. The sun shines for them, but they don't see it. The earth offers them its fullness, but they don't desire it. All the desire is to renounce and to suffer that they may come to die. This was Emperor Julian's version of what Christians were. Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. <laughs> and then Robert Louis Stevenson once entered in his diary as if he were recording an extraordinary phenomenon. I've been to church today, but I'm not depressed. Some people think grouchiness is a Christian virtue. A real serious Christian people are very serious, very sober, maybe a little on edge all the time. Years ago, when we started a church, I had to take a little extra work to make some money, and I drove Amish people in our area. And there was a, there was a family named Yoder <laughs> that we drove, and Marie was, these are delightful people, dear friends, to this day. Marie, the, the, the wife, her dad was a leader in the Amish church, and he was pretty over the top in terms of extra-biblical rules, you know, what you had to wear, what you could and couldn't drive, lots of that, right? And her dad was really nervous that hanging around me was going to be bad for her, and that I was going to, you know, being a Baptist pastor, that I was going to compromise her. <clears throat> I have a robust sense of humor. She mentioned that to her dad. I got in the van one day to drive Marie, and she said to me, my dad said, uh, laughter is like the crackling of thorns under a pot. That's what it says in the Bible. Laughter is like the crackling of thorns under a pot. She said, my dad said, I should be really careful about people who laugh too much so she wanted to be she's a little nervous about me i had a pastor friend who was in a group pastor friend who's in a group that was like lots more fundamental than i am and uh, my brother-in-law invited me to a golf tournament so this guy was at the golf tournament with all of his other really fundamentalist buddies and i was I was hitting some practice balls and he saw me there. He rode his cart up. He drove his cart right up to me and he said, no, I'm not joking. He goes, Ken Pierpont, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I thought he was talking about my bad golf game. I'm like, I just do this once a year. I'm not that good at it. <clears throat> and he goes, I'm really surprised to see you. He says without smiling. And then he drives away in his golf cart. I thought, wow, that was winsome, you know. 
So November, we're kind of dealing with things that darken the human spirit, rejection, sadness, discontent. We're talking about those things that darken the human spirit a little bit, talking about sadness today, and, and asking the question, was Jesus, was Jesus joyful? I mean, think about that for a minute. The Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows, that he was very familiar with grief. Um, the Bible says at least at one point that Jesus at one point was exceeding sorrowful. Exceeding sorrowful. It made Jesus deeply sad when people rejected the truth. Remember that when the rich young ruler turned away and, and he, went, he said he was very sad because he loved him a lot. The Bible never really records Jesus telling jokes as we know them. It doesn't really specifically record an occasion when Jesus laughed and Jesus' life was cut short in what seemed like a very tragic way. He had a short life and a, and a, and a tragic death. So was Jesus joyful is the question. And this is important because if, according to the Bible, according to Christian teaching, believers are going to spend eternity with him. Was he joyful? Is he the kind of person that you would want to spend eternity with? Um, and were his representatives on earth? Are we representing a joyless God? Well, you're probably guessing that I believe that Jesus was joyful, and I do, and I want to prove it. Jesus was joyful, even though he was on a very serious mission, and even though he faced sorrow, and even though he faced suffering, he was joyful. Here's some of the reasons we know. First of all, little children love to come to him. Now, this is just an argument by inference, right? But I think it's a powerful one. Little children don't like hanging around joyless people. Maybe that's why some of you don't have children hanging around you. Think about that. No, but children, they, they love. Second thing is, Jesus often used humor. Now, he didn't have kind of the kind of joking that we're familiar with, you know, storytelling kind of thing. Some of, uh, obviously, Jesus' facial expressions... And, and Jesus' mannerisms are lost to us through translation. There are things that are very humorous in the Bible that only people who understand the original languages of the Bible would see. But Jesus frequently used humor. Let me give you some quick examples. You know, humorous exaggeration was a common way that he used humor, or irony was a common way he used humor. If you would say to a person, would you give your son a scorpion when he asked for an egg? There's humor in that. If you would say, it's like the blind leading the blind, there's humor in that, the blind leading the blind. If you said, hey, before you get a speck out of somebody else's eye, why don't you get the log out of your eye? That's funny. Um, he would use zingers, if you will. Can I say this about our precious Savior Jesus? And render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, under God the things that are God. It's, it's humorous. It's, it's a zinger, if you will. Um, or if you said, and this one was unique, he said, you strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. And since of the original languages of the Bible would know that a gnat is galma and a camel is gamla. And so it would have had kind of an interesting humor to it when you express it. You strain it, this, you swallow that. So these word plays would be lost in translation. Would you put a lamp under a bushel? It's funny. Of course you wouldn't do something like that. Jesus often used humor. A third thing is Jesus had a relationship with the Father and a relationship with the Spirit in the Trinity. 
sometimes referred to as the dance of the Trinity or in, 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 the, in, the, in the Godhead before, before even time began. The, the scriptures in different places describe this as an example here. In Proverbs 8, 30 and 31, then I was beside him like a master workman, daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. It's a description of the, the, the relationship in the Godhead uh, before and during creation and it's described as joyful, full of delight. God is happy. God laughs. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is, uh, the, the people that fill the Spirit are filled with, with joy. And so we know that Jesus' relationship with the Father and the Spirit gave him great joy. So these are three things so far. We know that he used humor. We know that children love him. We know that he is God and God is joyful. Number four, Jesus' mission gave him deep joy in the spirit. If you take your Bible and if you turn to Luke chapter 10, I'll, I'll give you an example. Jesus sends the 70 out, the 72, and, and he sends them out. When they return, uh, it says in verse 17, they returned with joy and the Lord, this is Luke 10, 17, Lord, they said, Lord, even demons are subject to our name. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are in heaven, written in heaven. This should give you great joy, whether or not the spirits are subject to you, that you have your name written in heaven. And then the Bible says that Jesus rejoiced with a powerful rejoicing there in verse 21. In that same hour, he, Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the idea there is that he's jumping up and down with joy. This great expression of joy. Jesus expressed great joy. And he, he expressed great joy in his mission. This is true about people who followed him. Remember Paul and Silas, they go to Philippi and they have some success. And for this, they're thrown into jail. And you don't want to think like pool tables, color TVs. I haven't actually been in jail where they have pool tables and color TVs. But, but it was a dungeon jail. So they're, they're, in, they're, in, they're actually being tortured and they're innermost part of the dungeon. And what are they doing? Remember this? What are they doing? They're singing hymns. Why is that? Because they're on the mission of Jesus. And the mission of Jesus gives you great joy. People who, you know, we tend to think of missionaries. Some of you are missionaries, so you don't think this way. You have missionary background or you're missionaries. There are missionaries among us. Look around. Probably not far from your pew is a missionary. And they are not joyless people. They're not. Hang out with them for a while. Have dinner with them. Listen to them. Some of the happiest people on earth are missionary people. Some of the most joyful people. Why? Because they're on the mission of Jesus, consciously on the mission of Jesus, and being on the mission of Jesus gives you joy. I've had this experience myself. Years ago, I led a guy to the Lord one morning. I met him in my study, and he was ready to receive Christ. I drew a little map for him, and I led him to the Lord. He prayed to receive Christ. I was so excited. It was snowing out, and I went out, and I got in my van, our only decent family car, and I decided that in my joy, I would do donut in the parking lot. So I did a big donut in the parking lot, and my power steering went out. Remember that? Next Sunday, I take my little car to church, and Lois doesn't show up. And it's back before cell phones, you know, back before the earth's crust cooled and all of that. It's like, well, anyway, and, and I'm like, what happened to Lois? And I got home, and 
and, and the car was stuck on a log in our front yard because she was trying to back out and the power steering wasn't working, so she got stuck on a railroad tie in our front yard. Anyway, my point is that be, when you lead someone to the Lord, you get so excited, you do donuts in the parking lot. It's like, they're, they're really, I like college football. I really do. I have to admit, it's a, weak, it's a personal weakness of mine. Um, I, I stayed up to watch LSU beat Alabama last night. That was just good, clean fun. I enjoyed that. Um, I like college football, but they never made a college football game that was exciting as seeing somebody come to follow Jesus as their Savior or get baptized. By the way, if you haven't been baptized yet, would you sign up for baptism? Call the church office. We all want to have some fun around here, and we would like to have some fun at your expense. So if you haven't been baptized, get baptized. That's about the funnest thing that we do around here. Raise your hand if you've never been baptized. I'm just, just checking you out. Okay, so you think about it. I'm going to get real specific next week. So, you know, people that say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I haven't been baptized, that confuses me a lot. I'm not sure I get that. Anyway, it's fun when that happens, and there's joy in the house. There's great rejoicing. I'll even tell you this little secret. Sometimes I, if I feel a little bit of discouragement coming, you know what I do? I go online on YouTube, and I watch people getting baptized. You can't not be happy when people are, are following Jesus, when they're, when they're being baptized. And so this way it is. Jesus had this join him because he was always and ever on this mission to bring lost people to God. And that brought great joy. Remember this in Luke 15? Remember the, the three stories in Luke 15? Jesus tells them because of the crabby religious people. Mm-hmm, that's right. You say, preach it, Ken. Right there. Yeah, go take your Bible, look at Luke chapter 15 and verse 1, and it says, Jesus told three stories because of the crabby religious people. That's a broad paraphrase of that. This is very accurate, though. Who were not rejoicing when sinners came to repentance. So he told stories about lost things that were found and people that had parties, and then he interrupted with a little thing, and so it is, in the presence of the angels of heaven, there's great rejoicing when a sinner comes to repentance. And among the angels of heaven, this Jesus rejoicing with them, he says that again, when something lost is found, the lost son is found, there's great rejoicing. Remember how that goes? And one guy that doesn't rejoice is the example of the Pharisees. You know that story. I've told that before. My point is this. Being on the mission of Jesus gives great joy. It gave him great joy. Jesus' mission gave him deep joy in his spirit. Now, here's the fifth thing. Peter knew Jesus very, very well, right? Very, very well. And, 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 the, and after Jesus died, was buried, rose again, ascended back to heaven, Peter preaches one of the first sermons to the people. And in this sermon, he quotes uh, Psalm 16. Psalm 16 that ends in his presence is what? Yeah, you know, a fullness of joy. And he obviously says, this is about Jesus. So he's commending Jesus to people and saying, this is the Jesus who died and who was buried and he rose again and he's a happy Jesus. He's a joyful Jesus. The Bible talks about his joy. I want you to meet this joyful Jesus. And he says it three times in Acts chapter 2 and verses 25 to 28. Again, he's quoting Psalm 16. Now, number six. I am moving so fast. I should get a raise, don't you think? Number six, just kidding, just kidding. Um, Jesus was the happiest human being who ever lived. He was the happiest human being who ever lived. How do I know that? Because there's a passage in Psalm 45, verses six and seven, that says, O God is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of 
uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, is anointed with the oil of gladness beyond all of his fellows. And this passage is quoted as a reference to Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 9. Did you get it? He's anointed with the oil of gladness above all of his fellows. The happiest human being ever. Jesus is God and man. The happiest human being ever anointed with the oil of gladness above all his fellows is who? According to the Bible, it's who? Who are we talking about? If you never know the answer in church, just say Jesus. You're almost always going to be right. It's Jesus we're talking about. He's anointed with the oil of gladness. Don't give me that dour, sour, crabby old, mean picture of Jesus. It's not a biblical picture of Jesus. A biblical picture of Jesus, certainly he was sober, certainly he was serious, certainly he suffered, and he understood sorrow, but he always had this under, you know, this great undercurrent of joy in his life that frequently bubbled to the surface. He was anointed with the oil of gladness. Number seven, even during times of great sorrow and even during times of great suffering, Jesus never lost sight of his joy, and this is really important. You know, if Jesus had never had sorrow, had never had suffering, we would say, well, of course he's joyful. Look how things go for him. Everything goes well for him. But, he, but it didn't always go well for him. He came on a mission to suffer and die. He was tempted. He wept with those who wept. He had a holy hatred for all sin and all injustice. He grieved over hypocrisy, and he saw a lot of it. Sometimes he was hungry. Sometimes he was weary. Sometimes he was betrayed and forsaken by his closest friends. He was tortured. He was whipped. He was mocked. He was pursued. And he was crucified, naked, in front of his own mother and brothers. But no one in heaven or on earth has ever been as joyful or as glad or as genuinely and deeply happy as Jesus was. Jesus is happy, is glad. It's joyful. He always was. He always will be. And if there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, how much more joy must there be in Jesus' heart over the multitudes who have been of the redeemed? If the shepherd rejoiced over one lost sheep that's found, how much more has Jesus, the great shepherd, rejoiced over multitudes of lost sheep that are in his fold, including us in Matthew 18, 13. Jesus loved telling sheep stories. He said, you know, that shepherd that goes and finds one, if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the other 99 that ever went astray. How many of you would like to make Jesus happy right now? How many of you would like to make Jesus happy right now? How, how, come on, talk to me. How many? Yes. The houses full of people that would like to make you knew you didn't want to raise your hand because you, you're smart people and you go, I know a trap when the pastor is setting one. And he's setting a trap. Yes, I am. Here's how you make Jesus happy repent. Think of something you did wrong and repent. And he's rejoicing. It's serious. Like, this is really true. I mean, if you have a kid and they're kind of off the rails, even when they're a little and off the rails, you know, stealing cookies and whatnot, disobeying mom and dad and not taking nap time. And when they come to repentance, they're just sobbing a little thing. And when they finally break over, you ever have that happen? Remember that? And they break over and they're crying. You're going, praise the Lord. You're like all happy because they're sad. It's not because you're weird. I mean, you might be weird, but that's not why. It's because you know this, that, you know, kids need to repent sometimes. They need to 
admit when they're wrong sometimes. They need to confess their sin sometimes. Sometimes the very best thing that can happen is that we confess our sin. God knows that. That's why when a sinner repents, oh, heaven breaks in to a great party, and you can make Jesus happy by repenting. Some of you, maybe all of you, need to repent right now. But here, here's a powerful thing. In your Bible, and if you only took one verse out of this message today and you remembered it, would you remember this? You could just spill this over in your mind all week long. John 15, 11. Say that with me. John 15, 11. Say it out loud. John 15, 11. Jesus says he's, he's, he's approaching his death in John 15, 11. This is in this is in the upper room, right? And he's giving his kind of last words. And his death is hanging over his head. And he knows he's going to be tortured. And he knows he's going to die. And he says, I'm saying these things to you so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. This is what Jesus says, knowing he's about to be tortured and crucified. He says, I'm saying these things to you so my joy which must have been really obvious to them, would be in you, and so that you would be as happy as it's humanly possible to be. This is the teaching of Jesus. Somebody misrepresenting Jesus and saying that Jesus wasn't joyful, this is not right. In Hebrews 12, 2, even on the cross, it says, we look to Jesus, who is the founder, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So if Jesus can endure the cross because of the joy he was looking forward to, you and I that have the joy of Jesus in us, that my joy would be in you and your joy would be full, we can endure whatever is ahead of us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul got this. And he says, as sorrow, as sorrowful, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10, he said, as sorrowful, but what? always rejoicing as if you can have, and some of you that have walked with the Lord for a few years, you know this is true. You can have great sorrow in your life. Maybe a great sorrow that in this life is not going to go away. And at the very same time you have that sorrow, you can have kind of a, 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 an artesian well of joy flowing under it. This is what Paul says. Jesus understood this. And so, my Amish friend, the next time I got back in the car with Marie, I said, Marie, your dad misquoted the Bible. Because the Bible does not say laughter is like the crackling of thorns under a pot. Laughter is like fingernails on the chalkboard. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. She says, well, my dad said it did. I said, well, your dad's wrong. Because what the Bible says, the laughter of a fool is like the crackling of thorns under a pot. The laughter of a fool is like fingernails on the chalkboard, if you will. The laughter of a fool is an irritating thing. The laughter isn't. The laughter of a child it's a beautiful thing. A laughter, I mean, usually, right? A laughter of your wife. When she laughs, you tell a joke, and she laughs. My son, uh, Chuck, he is always telling jokes. He's a funny guy. He's a really funny guy. He'll take a story I made up, and he'll tell it, and it's f so much funnier when he tells it than I tell it. I'm like, it's my story. He's funnier than, he's a really funny guy. After, a lot of times, a guy that's really funny would married to a girl who doesn't think he's funny. You know, it's like, yeah, whatever, that's lame, you know? They had a baby, and I heard that she was in labor a while ago, and so I jumped in the car. I was in Grand Rapids, and we lived over in the Down River. I jumped in the car. As soon as I heard she was in labor, and I headed for the hospital. You know, gambling whether the in-laws would be upset that I was the first guy there. I just went, you know, and so Lois was out of town. I just got in the car alone. I didn't tell anybody. I just got in the car, and I went. Grandchild was on the way, and it was a little Aspen Gale was born. 
And I was literally sitting in the car, uh, uh, you know, in the parking lot of the garage, in the parking garage when she was born. I was ready to see that newborn baby as soon as I was going to be allowed. And, and, and they let me in the room really quick after that. And Chuck was him, being himself. And here's what I saw. Here's a woman who just gave birth. She like had just gone through the jaws of death, right? And here she is like with her makeup on, just looking beautiful, like she just stepped out of the you know, vanity and had herself all made up and she's happy and Chuck told a joke and she threw her head back and laughed. And right then I loved her so much. <laughs> she loves my boy. He's an idiot, but she loves him. <laughs> he's crazy, you know, he's just a crazy kid. She thinks he's funny. She laughs at him. How beautiful is that? No, laughter isn't foolish. Uh, laughter isn't irritating. The laughter of a fool is irritating. Don't misrepresent Jesus. Don't distort his word to keep people in your little sect of crabbiness. Don't do that. Join the joy club. When I was a boy, my mom had this club. They made it up in the little Baptist circles we were in called the joy club. You ever heard of this? Anybody ever been in the joy club? I'm going to invite you into the joy club today. Jesus and others and you. They had a little song. Jesus and others and you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. Jesus and others and you. In the heart of each girl and each boy. None of you ever did this? Yeah, yeah, some of you did. You just didn't want to admit. It's so long ago you forgot. Anyway, yeah. I was in the joy club. I memorized the Bible verse. I got a joy beanie. Would you like to see it? I'm not showing it to you right now. But anyway, I have a joy beanie. I literally can put on my head. You would take a picture of it, and then it would go on the internet, and we don't want that. But I still have a little felt beanie that I won in the joy club. I want to invite you into the joy club today. I want to challenge you to rejoice even when things aren't going your way. I want to challenge you to be like Jesus in this way. Make the choice to rejoice. The Spirit will help you. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. In other words, the Holy Spirit will supernaturally help you to be joyful. And no matter what you're going through, make the choice to rejoice. The Spirit will help you. Second, make the choice to rejoice. Train yourself to rejoice. It will be good for you. Remember the guy he gets, he's it's a parable of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 13. It's a little short story. Great story. Matthew 13, 44. And he says, the kingdom of the heaven is like a man who finds a treasure in the field. Remember that? And, and for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field because the treasure is so valuable that he takes everything he had before and he's happy, he's giddy, he's joyful, he's thrilled to get rid of everything else he had in order to have the kingdom. My friend, understand this. To know Jesus and to be in the kingdom is the heart of joy. Make a choice to rejoice every day because, I mean, after all, it'll be good for your soul. Proverbs 17, 22 says, a cheerful heart is like a good medicine. A cheerful heart is like really good health food. The Bible, I love this one. The Bible says this in, in Proverbs 17, 22. A cheerful heart or a merry heart is like a continual feast. Imagine you're, you decide in my home, I'm going to have a merry heart. I'm going to have a cheerful heart. Being around you is going to be like one big party all the time. So the Bible says a merry heart is like a big party, like a continual feast. 
It's good for you. Make the choice to rejoice. The Spirit will help you. Make the choice to rejoice. Train yourself in this way. It'll be good for your soul. Make the choice to rejoice because sour Christians are not particularly mature Christians. They are disobedient Christians. This is interesting. In Deuteronomy 28, you know, in that song that we sing, The Goodness of God, there's a little part that goes like, that, that here, I've come running after you, running after you. Uh, goodness is run, no, his goodness is running after me. His goodness is running. It comes out of Deuteronomy 28. What the Bible says that if you obey the Lord, he will chase you down with his blessings. This is the life of one who's blessed, and all of us in Christ are blessed, and God wants to overcome us, chase us down, and bless us. This is the experience that we have. And so since that's true, we should have a gladness of heart. And what it says in Deuteronomy 28 and verses 47 and 48 is shocking. Listen to this. Because you did not serve the Lord your God, he's pronouncing judgment. He says, because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, because you refused to be joyful and glad because of the abundance of all things, therefore you'll serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in lacking everything and he'll put a yoke of iron on your neck until he's destroyed you there's a happy little greeting for your there's a happy little text for your greeting card right he says this is the way it is he says i'm gonna offer you gladness and i offer you joy but if you won't take it your enemies are going to destroy you jesus is a god commands us to to rejoice and if we don't we're, we're not we're not obeying him and then Making the choice to rejoice is important because it represents Jesus well. It's important that we do like Peter did, represent him well. The world is sad, and there's sadness in the world all around us, and they need to know that God is happy, and he can make them happy. Did you ever hear this? Joy is the flag. Remember this is a little chorus. Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart when the king is in residence there. Do you remember that? It's a little chorus we used to sing, us old people. Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart when the king is in residence there. They say, you know, the, when the king was at the castle, they would take this flag and it was like, the king is here. And joy is our way of saying, the king is here. Look at me. He made me happy. I want to be a good testimony. I owe him everything. I love him with all my heart. I'm going to be joyful because he deserves it. Do you realize, you might think, how can I glorify God? I'm not Billy Graham, you know, I can't do this, I can't sing, can't do that. What can I do to glorify God? You know what you can do to glorify God? Be joyful when you're going through a trial and you bring glory to God. Somebody said it this way, and I love it. It said, joy is evidence to the world that God can fully satisfy the human heart. Joy is evidence to the world that God can fully satisfy the human heart. You can let the world know that Jesus is satisfying by being joyful no matter what you're going through. Jesus did that, and it represents Jesus well. My daughter Hannah was a bank teller, and she says, Dad, something happened today I think I want to tell you about. I'm not sure. I'm glad she told me this, but she mentioned the name of a lady in our church, not this church. It happened to be a different church. could happen here. So the lady came through the bank. She couldn't see her, so she didn't know that it was the pastor's daughter that she was talking to. And she didn't know that she was on a speaker, and so all the other tellers could hear what she had to say. But she wasn't happy about something in her account. And so this lady who I always, my experience with her was she was always pleasant and kind, sounded like kind of Jesus-y, wasn't so Jesus-y that day. 
And on the speaker, she's like, you know, she starts yelling at the teller. And the girls kind of say to my daughter, Does she, doesn't she go to your church? Like, would have been a good testimony for her that day if she'd have gone through and she'd have had some sweetness about her. She had some joy about her. I wonder how often I have failed that way. We got a minute. Take your Bible and look at Psalm 126. Look what a testimony it is just to be joyful, just to show your joy in the Lord. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams of the, in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing a seed for sowing, will come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. When our mouth was, then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. That's a great testimony. Isn't that beautiful? One final thing here. When we make the choice to rejoice, it's like we're looking ahead, and it lightens our load, because we all have a very bright future. If you know the Lord, you have a very, very bright future. I know things are hard right now. I know that all of us have our things that we're going through that can just crush us. Am I right? Some of you, I know you have things in your life that are a daily difficulty for you, a daily burden for you, a daily hardship for you. And maybe there was a time in your life you're thinking, I wasn't expecting this to happen to me. I wasn't expecting to have to go through this. And yet God has entrusted you with a great sorrow. Or God has entrusted you with a great sadness. Or God has entrusted you with a great injustice. Or God has entrusted you with even a loved one who's going through a great trial. You would quickly take their trial upon yourself if you could. But you can't. And God has entrusted you with this. And now all eyes are on you, believing eyes and unbelieving eyes, family members and not family members, and they want to see if your God is adequate to give you joy when you're going through this great trial. I love this. Jesus is talking there in the upper room in John and chapter 16, and he's not, he's not the health, wealth, and happiness type of preacher. He's not that at all. He, he lets them know there's gonna be hardship, there's, there's gonna be difficulty, um, and, and you see this in, in John 16, a, a little while and you will see me no longer, 16, 16, a little while you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to another, what is this that he says, a little while and you'll not see me, and again a little while and you'll see me because I'm going to my father. So as they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. He said, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by a little while and you'll not see me again? Truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For the joy of that human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will ever take that joy from you. And that day, you will ask nothing from me. Truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you'll receive that your joy 
may be full. Jesus cared about our joy, and we have a joyful thing to look forward to. All of us who know the Lord, all of us who know the Lord have a great joy to look forward to. And that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay, right? To show the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us, we're afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We're perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed because we always carry in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Translation, a bit of Jesus' death is going to be manifested in your suffering so that you can show the life of Jesus in your life. In other words, I'm going to point you to some hardship and some difficulty and some suffering and some struggle and some sorrow and some disappointment because this is death and you need to display this death. But I'm also going to fill you with my spirit and bring joy so that you can be a good representative of life. And then it says, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us and life in others. In Matthew 25 and verse 21, Jesus is telling a story and he's giving us an example. He gives us a, an example of what it's going to be like when we enter into heaven. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I'll make you Lord, ruler over many things. And then he says this, enter, you know what this says? Enter into what? The joy of the Lord. He says, a, a euphemism for heaven. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now we're here. Now it's unbroken joy. I don't know if this has happened to you, but it's happened to me a few times in my life that I just had a crushing sorrow surprise me. Maybe it was a great injustice for you. Maybe it was just a, something you never expected that you would ever hear. Maybe you've had this. And I remember this. I've told you a bit about this. I had a crushing sorrow come to me and really to all of us. And I remember thinking... I don't ever think I can be the same after what happened to me and what happened to us and what happened to those I love. And so for a while, I kind of went through the motions as a pastor, saying the things I was supposed to say, going to the places I was supposed to go, doing the things I was supposed to do. But when I was alone, I was so sad, so heartbroken. It's hard to sleep, it's hard to eat. I would get home, I'd just be glad my day was over so I could go home and just go get in my chair and sit there. And I made no attempt to be joyful at home. I came in the house one day, a few weeks into that, really sad. I hung up my coat, and Lois said to me, How long are you going to be sad, Ken? How long are you going to be sad? I said, I don't know. She said, all of us around here count on you. We depend on you to be joyful. There are people who want to know that God is real, and they're looking at you. They're depending on you to be joyful. May God help you do it. Stand with me as we close in prayer. Lord, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord today. Lord, you, you're so powerful and good. And even like Daniel and, and Job and the others that went through such terrible hardships and yet you delivered them. 
we want to make the choice to rejoice over and over again because we know that one day you're going to deliver us. I pray for those in the house today that don't know the Lord, that they would come and they would talk to a counselor, have somebody pray with them at the end of the service. Pray for those who have an area of obedience or an area of repentance that they need to make right. I pray that they would do that and then you would flood them with joy. I ask, Lord, that you would help me and, and all of us who are Christians and who, who name the name of Christ to, to over and over again this week and throughout this month as things are darkening, I pray, Lord, it would be our reminder that we're the light of the world and, Lord, that we would choose to rejoice even if things are hard and that, Lord, you would fill us with joy after we choose to rejoice. If you're here and you need prayer, you'd like somebody to pray with you, in a moment, I'm going to say amen, and you can come forward, and these folks are here to pray with you. Uh, if you're new, we'd like to get to know you. If you're a regular, thanks for being here. Look around. If there's people missing, ask them where they were this week. Help them and encourage them a little bit. Father, again, we're grateful to be here today. Help us to rejoice in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Jesus is great.